What's going on, everybody? This is Sean of Ross Like Music. And this is the Super Sunny Show. I'm La Molly. This is Blue and Green Radio. Hello and welcome along to this month's edition of the Music for Modern Living Radio Show right here on Blue and Green Radio. You're locked in with me, Nigel Gentry. Party people, this is Mr. V of Confessions of a Curly Mind broadcasting through Blue and Green Radio. You're listening to Steve Williams at UK5.org. Welcome to the Blue and Green Sessions. Ride the vibe with DJ Ronnie Ron. Twisted Souls. You're listening to the Blue and Green podcast, and I hope you enjoy what we are going to say. Blueandgreenradio.com. Welcome, friends. You're tuned in to another episode of the Blue in Green podcast. My name's Imran. Thank you very much for tuning into the episode today. The Blue in Green podcast runs in conjunction with Blue in Green Radio, the online internet radio station that broadcasts from London and uh, is a celebration of contemporary funk, soul, jazz, Latin music, uh, R&B, and hip hop as well. So uh, we'd love for you to check us out at www.blueingreenradio.com. Um, super cool episode for you. Uh, today, this one is kind of um, oh, how can we describe this one? Um, uh, well, hang on. <laughs> Firstly, my name's Imran. Did I even say that? How rude! Uh, I, uh, as well as uh, hosting the Blue in Green uh, podcast, I'm also a contributor to uh, the Close Encounters podcast, uh, which is available through Forever in Electric Dreams. Um, my uh, long-time uh, friend and broadcasting buddy uh, Dan Collicott and I uh, had a conversation for that podcast about four months ago as of this recording, so like March, April uh, 2020. We had a, a really excellent conversation for that podcast series and um, it's always... Uh, kind of been nagging at me a little bit that it would make a great addition to this podcast series as well so this is something of a crossover mashup uh attempt uh so uh so we're going to kind of take portions of that well the whole thing really and uh air it as part of this blue and green podcast as well so i'd love you uh i'd love to encourage you all to visit uh forever in electric dreams.com uh to find out the full back catalog of podcast releases there so the uh, episode, the topic uh, of the episode today uh, is basically Dan and I discussing the concept of posthumous album releases. Uh, those kind of albums that have uh, been released basically after the, uh, you know, following the artist's passing and uh, ultimately without, in most cases, without their official approval or say-so for the release of the project. So there is a small dalliance into the, the question as well. We kind of take a small detour uh, through the uh, conversation as well to discuss what constitutes the name of a band as well in terms of uh, if uh, an artist, a member of, of a band passes should or, or even just leaves in general, then can you continue using the name of the band if the full members are not present? So it's a small aside that we have in the uh, the conversation, but it's yeah, it's a really really cool episode, and it's sort of a conversation I had wanted to have for a really long time. So I'm really really happy that Dan and I had the opportunity uh, to do so for uh, the Close Encounters podcast, and subsequently cheekily for the Blue and Green podcast as well. So um, would love to know your thoughts as well. It's sort of a in a way, I guess there's no right or wrong um, approach to it. There's no right or wrong answer to it. It's just about what your thoughts are about whether it's acceptable or not, or whether you're comfortable with it as a fan. And hopefully, we'll pitch you some examples in this conversation that may, maybe, hopefully, make you change your mind a little bit or question things, etc., etc. That's always the fun thing. Uh, so yes, thanks very much for checking out the episode. Uh, we have two uh, two songs on the Blue and Green podcast. Uh, as always, I'm going to play a song, I think, whenever you have the concept, the discussion of posthumous album releases within the realms of R&B and hip-hop and uh, such and such soul music, I think uh, a, a name that uh, comes up a lot is Tupac, because um, for some years following his uh, passing, there were a lot of releases that came out, and, um, you know, in very you know varying degrees of acceptance some were well received and some not so much but um there was always a song that came out that uh, i remember being at uni at the time and i just loved it i really really loved it and i thought it'd be a nice addition nice way to kick off the show today uh with a posthumous release that gets a big thumbs up so i'm going to go with two part do for love 
and um, I hope you guys enjoyed the song and very much hope you enjoy the conversation as well thank you very much discussing the concept of posthumous album releases uh those projects that uh have 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 been released uh primarily by uh record labels by um uh people in charge of uh said artists estate and uh projects that have been released uh basically without the artist's 
say stamp of approval without them having authorized the final edit um and uh yeah we're just sort of throwing the concept out there how do people feel about it is it is it like it doesn't matter is there a general understanding that whatever has come out is obviously post the artist's term of consent so it should just be treated as a bonus uh, for me, I, I, I'm kind of intrigued by the whole thing. And I think it's funny because certain projects will come out by artists from varying genres. And sometimes they're massively embraced. Sometimes they're hugely derided before they've even come out. And it's just, it's funny about how people pick uh, and choose what what they get almost angry about. Like my, my daughter's eight. And if she's, and she's very artistic. She likes to draw. She likes to write poems. She likes to write stories. And if you say to her, oh, can I see? She'll say, no, you've got to wait till it's finished. And that's the kind of the funny thing with art, isn't it? In whatever context it is, an artist in whatever context does want you, anyone to see something when it's in a state to be seen. What do you think? You're talking to me? Yeah, no, we're not here. It's just us. <laughs> I don't know if you're talking to the audience in general. <laughs> yeah, back. With, with podcasts that there isn't often a lot of a lot of comeback from audience questions sure <laughs> you can't really break a fourth wall and expect <laughs> yeah it's a, it's a shame it really. does, yeah yeah so yeah no i'm asking you i'm asking you <laughs> um i think it well there are examples where it works examples where it, it's kind of okay and Usually where I think there's an artist who was in the middle of producing something. So they were somewhere near finishing a project and then they died. And then the record label has got the permission of the, their wife or husband or, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, or they, the, their family. I suppose there are some examples where there's music that's been, released in those circumstances where you say well okay you know they they were close to finishing something and you know they they've put something out and and it and it doesn't feel like it's a very cynical uh you know way of making money but for every one example like that i think there's probably about 10 20 examples where it's completely wrong where mm. it, it just feels like it's they're cashing in on the death because obviously when someone dies, their, their, their name becomes, you know, they're, 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 it's like incredible marketing. Um, when they look at uh, Michael Jackson, for example, they said that after his, after he died, I mean, he was effectively bankrupt. He wasn't making any money anymore and hadn't made money for a long time. And after he died, you know, he was, they were saying he was making, um, something like a million, you know, 400 million pounds a week or something ridiculous or a day or a month or, you know, he was, he was selling huge numbers of albums. So obviously uh, when there is a, a, a band where there's fame and infamy and someone dies, then they, the people around them do usually look, especially record labels to get something out there quick um to cash in on the mm. interest in that person that makes sense yeah absolutely it's funny because michael jackson's a really interesting uh, name that you brought up because he has an album uh which falls into the category of being massively derided uh i think it was the first posthumous album uh, that would have been released so it was 2010 and it was called michael and um there so it was a project that was in development um at uh sort of before he passed and i remember there were two contributors who were working on it while he was alive and it was neo and will i am and when he passed and then however long it was afterwards the record label said okay we're gonna finish this album and put it out those were two names who said no we're not gonna they each refused uh, the label access to the songs. They said, we're not going to authorize our contribution to this because Michael was such a perfectionist. He wouldn't want people to hear his music that wasn't finished. 
So those were two names who absolutely, you know, vehemently refused to be a part of the project. Others said, oh, no, it'll be good. And it was it was an album that was sort of massively derided. There were there was there were even a, a, a sort of statements made that people didn't think Michael actually sang on some of the songs. Oh yeah, I remember this now. Do you, yeah, you remember yeah. this? There was a, and it's funny because the guy who was responsible for potentially bringing in another singer was a guy was someone called Teddy Riley, who was a nineties. With you know, a mega hit uh, a producer, he was in Black Street and Guy, and he produced Michael Jackson's Dangerous album. So they've known each other for a very, very long time. And he was a name who said, "No, no, it, Michael will love this. We're going to press on with our our tracks." And then I think it was Michael Jackson's father who, when he heard finished versions, he said, "That that's not him. Like, who's singing that? That's not him." And it was an uncredited. Oh well, it was believed to be an uncredited uh, name that they tried to remove any kind of involvement. Now, I don't know if there was ever any factual uh, uh, response given to those accusations, but the fact that they existed, you know, just puts everything in a bad light. I mean, Dave Grohl was supposed to be a part of, he had recorded drums for one of the tracks on the album. For some reason, the label removed it. They didn't release his version, but they used his name and said it was him. And he was very public about and how angry he was that why would you use my name but not my actual music <laughs> so he was very very angry um about the process but that's an album that came out that you know the, the underlining message about he wouldn't have wanted it heard is kind of key i thought to that situation yeah yeah well, did, did it also have i don't know like remixes of previously released material like remixes of thriller and things like that uh okay so there was another album that came out afterward afterwards called escape which was primarily remixed by timberland and that was actually it was it was fine it was you know he he had a good sound throughout it wasn't like a wildly like inappropriate or unrealistic uh, project it was sort of it was what it was and i think it was just something that came and went um in terms of i don't think people were jumping up for joy about it but you know, no one really sort of bashed it because they were very open about this is what it is as opposed to passing off something that it shouldn't or couldn't have been yeah so um yeah so i think that one kind of just sort of came and went but you know it's funny because in theory like well actually i don't know if i we sort of said but i mean how do you kind of feel about stuff like that in general because personally just the idea of like a posthumous album it doesn't really bug me because i i always look at it as well it's quite clear that this is afterwards so anything that comes afterwards i always just look at as a bonus um i I guess it depends on the quality um like are they able to maintain you know a semblance of you know the, the the same ingredients and kind of quality of what went before. I mean, the, the, there's been a recent uh, example. It's a bit of a random one. I don't. I doubt many people know about this, but uh, the rock band Static X. Um, the the lead singer who I think he wrote quite a lot of the material as well, but not everything. Uh, he died um, and. They have effectively, first of all, they've carried on touring with someone in his place. So someone wearing kind of like, it looks a bit like a Slipknot mask, but made to look like Wayne Static, the guy who's unfortunately, um, you know, passed away. So first of all, they're, 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 they're touring existing material using a lead singer who doesn't have a name, not a named singer, but he's there. Or, I mean, he may have been named by now, to be fair, but he's wearing a mask to look like the original lead singer, kind of a bit like Slipknot-esque, as I said. And, yeah, so he's singing all the original material, but they're also releasing an album. And not only, obviously, is without Wayne Static's posthumous approval because he's not around but 
it, it does feature his some of his vocals, but the other guitarist, the main guitarist, who I forget the name of, has pretty much come out and said, "Well, hang about, I wrote, you know, the, the music they're trying to uh, re-record or finish. I wrote most of this, um, and no one's even talking to me about it." Um, so it's weird. It's it's like they're they're taking a load of unfinished demos um, and recordings of his vocals, um, and they're now finishing them to create an album. And yet they may have resolved. It may all be water under the bridge by now. I don't know. It might have blown over. But yeah, one of the other main guitarists and writers is pretty much saying, "Hang on, about." you're releasing this, but you've not really spoken to me about it. I haven't said this is okay. And you just... Oh, so feel... he wasn't a part of it? Um, no, no, so he's not... No, I, I don't think he's... He's had... I think that there's three key members, and one's died. The other one seems to be leading a lot of the, the, the touring and recording, and the main guitarist has sort of said, well, hang on, I'm not part of this anymore. And it's really strange. It is. Why would they? Why would they hide the identity of the singer if it would be well known that the original singer was passed away? Um, I, 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 again, I don't know, and I might, I may be lacking in, in information. They may have revealed who he is by now, but I know to start off with, they were touring with him, and they were just touring with a guy in a mask, and that was it. Um. So that feels weird. Uh, I, I haven't heard. I don't think, as far as I know, the album hasn't been released yet. Um, so I had to reserve judgment. Um, but I guess the the more common um, sort of scenario, which is similar to this, where bands actually, you know, someone dies, uh, lead singer dies. I don't know why, but it, it nearly always is the lead singer. That, that seems to die in a lot of the, the biggest kind of rock and pop bands. Um, but yeah, it, it's when a band continues with a new singer. And I don't know how you feel about that because my my biggest example, probably my most well-known example, is, is Queen. Mm. Now, Freddie Mercury, to me, is, you know, I, I grew up, just thinking, worshipping the guy. I just thought, you know, he's the biggest... Really? I didn't know that. Yeah, no. I think um, in, in my youth, Queen was was huge. Yeah, I, I, I really grew up on, on Queen and, and Motown and a lot of, you know, really, you know, uh, Michael Jackson, Jackson 5 and stuff like that. But yeah, I, I really, I loved Queen. I had, I had so many albums on cassette. Um so yeah, it was really strange that okay, you know, he he died, and the band I I think they'd made their fortune already before he died, um, and they kind of went well, you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna I think did they did they make it into some kind of like American Idol type thing where they had people auditioning to be the vocalist? But it, I might be wrong, but wasn't that for the show? Because they had the stage show yeah, in London. Could, was it for that? Been. It might have been for... But, uh, yeah, I can't remember. I think it might have been for that. It could have been. Because there's a lot of this going around. Because they did it for In Excess. Um, for replacement for Michael Hutchins. Mm. Um, but yeah, anyway. So it, Paul Rogers eventually became the front man. And it was kind of Queen. They didn't... They always sold the tour of Queen with Paul Rogers. So they didn't try and make out. It was just... Right, and I kind of, I think at first I was a bit like, well, it's just weird. You can't do Queen without Freddie Mercury, but I think I got over it because I realised, well, you know, um, Brian May um, is, you know, I mean, man, he loves badgers. He really loves those badgers, and (laughs) apart from just being so loving with badgers. He, you know, he's, he's an incredible guitarist and vocalist, and you know the other band members that you know were a talented bunch. And I kind of felt, well, okay, they they wanted to continue touring, and I don't see that. You know, they they didn't release new material, 
they just wanted to carry on touring for their fans. And I thought, well, you know, it's up to fans if they want to see them. And I kind of, I kind of lived with it. But I know a lot of people at the time were like, well, this is a bit weird. Why would yeah, you, why it, would you do that? It is weird, isn't it? Cause it kind of, it sort of extends the conversation a little bit or takes it off into a little bit of a tangent about, about names of like the concept of a band name and a band's name and who that constitutes. So it's like, you have something like Jamiroquai. So when they started, they were a specific unit, but they've had so many lineup changes, not through death or anything, but it's just the fact that Jamiroquai is ultimately just JK now. Do you know what I mean? But it's still the band name and it's kind of like what constitutes at what point does someone or a group of people lose the right to use that name? I mean, I know you said you, the Queen example you gave Queen and was it Paul Rogers you said? Yeah, Paul Rogers. So, but, you know, in terms of Queen used to represent, correct me if I'm wrong, but four members. Yeah. So the fact that they're using it to technically represent, well, I guess two original members and a whole other band and a, and a whole other kind of lineup of unnamed musicians. Uh, oh no no! Ed. I think I think it's a full full lineup apart from just just with Paul Rogers. Oh, I thought one of the the other band member. I don't know everyone's name. Sorry, um, but uh, the, the the third member had said, oh, "I don't really want to be a yeah, part of this maybe anymore." And he left. Right? Maybe the bassist didn't stick mm. around. Yeah, I believe it's just the the drummer and uh, Brian May that yeah. are in essence the original members of Queen, which are just two of the four. Uh, so it's kind of like, well, do they? I remember what was it when, um, like the Bee Gees, for example. So obviously the Bee Gees, three, uh, three brothers, uh, vocalists. When one of them passed, the other two said they wouldn't perform under the name the Bee Gees anymore yeah. because the three of them were the people that made that name. And I always, I remember that very vividly and thinking that's that makes sense. That's a, that's actually a cool declaration because you're now going to have to invest in and like a, not a different name as such, but. You're abandoning the name out of respect, and I, I always thought that that was a very, very cool thing to do. Yeah, no, no, I agree, um, and I think it. It, I mean, another example is Alison Chains. Now, Alison Chains had two lead singers, uh, Lane Staley and Jerry Cantrell, and Lane Staley died. He, I mean, he he spent. All, all of his career talking about heroin overdoses and drug use and and died of one. So it's pretty ironic that that happened. But um, Jerry Cantrell was weird. For a long time, he toured as himself. He released solo material, but he would always play original Alice in Chains stuff. But then, I don't know, probably wasn't maybe five years after Lane Staley's death, he they... They, he got a new lead singer who was uh, who who was in a, a band that used to um, tour with him, and yeah, they they redid Alice in Chains as Alice in Chains, and I was kind of like, um, yeah, I kind of it was it was a bit strange at first because then <laughs> you've got you've got the 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 main you know you've got the main band members, but there's someone else doing Lane Staley's vocal parts on all. Uh, the tracks that you know were the original recordings with him from the past and I was kind of like well that's sort of strange but at the same time you know you kind of get it um I mean Queen sorry just just adding Mm. to the Queen thing they also had um Adam Lambert of course uh, yeah was the other guy who so you know they they've they've pretty much you know, it, it it they've had two singers that they've toured with, and and I guess that's okay. And yeah, you're right. Um, what's his name? John Deacon. Um, he, I think he had enough. I think he he didn't want to tour anymore, so he he left it to the others. But yeah, it, it it's kind of. I even remember one final example was Stone Temple Pilots. And this was a different scenario because Stone Temple Pilots were always fighting with Scott Weiland and falling out. And they had Chester Bennington uh, as their lead singer for a bit. Linkin like, Park, Chester? Yeah. 
Oh, wow, cool. Yeah, for one, I don't know if it was a full album. I think it was more an EP. But Scott Weiland was still alive at this at this stage. Oh, right. Hang on. Um, and the band Live, again, they they fell out with uh, the lead singer. Oh, for God, God, I forget the name of. But, but they got a new lead singer in, and it's just like, and that was really bad because it's like, how on earth can you can you replace the lead singer while he's alive um, with someone else? Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it was just, um, yeah. Sorry, it's um, uh, what's his name? Ed Ed Kowalski? No, Ed Kolzak. I don't know how to pronounce his name. But yeah, it, it, it's strange things like that. And Stone Temple Pilots, I believe, now have a new singer um, because they were just determined that Scott, they weren't defined by Scott Wyland. They right. weren't defined by that lead singer. And even when he was alive, they, they moved on without him. And now that he's passed on, you know, they, they've carried on. And it's, it's a bit strange. Mm. Yeah, it is. Does it ever affect your investment in a band at all when, when things like this happen? Oh, totally, yeah. I mean, up, so. Yeah, I mean, live with Chester Bennington wasn't particularly good. It wasn't mm. bad, but it wasn't, uh, sorry, not live. Uh, Stone Temple Pilots, it, it was nowhere near the same vibe. Um, love Scott Wyland, hate Scott Wyland, because he was quite an insane guy. He, you know, doing doing that material without him, it just isn't the same. And I'm not being unnecessarily like nostalgic but it was the same with live live without ed the the main lead singer who's now come back um and 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 they're now reformed but it's just not the same you can't i think if you if you do if you start a new band um if you so so you reform with a new singer it it's a bit dubious why do you have to still be called live why don't you call yourself a new name and be a new band because you're recording new material? Whereas I think when you've got Stone Temple Pilots, you know, still playing all their original songs, and it's just like, well, no, with a new lead singer, it's not. It's just not the same. I mean, Nirvana didn't do it. Uh, I think Nirvana could right. have, you know, I think mm. luckily Dave Grohl kind of went, did his own thing and went with Foo Fighters, but there was quite a lot of unreleased stuff there. I think that um, Courtney Love has refused to let anyone release. That's cool. Was that what was her reasoning behind it? Well, she hates Dave Grohl for a start. Right. <laughs> yeah. So they're not. They're <laughs> Who not. could hate Dave Grohl? I know. Well, they 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 fell out big style. Um, I don't think they were friends during the last days of Nirvana and you know there's all kinds of rumors and conspiracies and blame game so right. which could could fuel an entire podcast but um but yeah no luckily um she won't allow it um and he doesn't want to deal with her so that that doesn't happen so that's kind of good because it means that Kurt Cobain's sort of legacy isn't is untarnished really um, so what you said it's good that she won't so you don't want to hear it or you don't want it released um, it, I, there, there's part of me that that does but there's part of me that glad you know it, it lives in a vacuum where I, I don't know if it's good or bad and I never will so it's kind of okay and I, and I find that their body of work is quite is perfect it doesn't need more you don't you don't mm. need more nirvana in your life um they they did they did some brilliant albums um because that that is the thing about a lot of bands and that's a, this is another topic is sometimes i think i think bands just don't stop trying to release <laughs> yeah. material yeah. and album after album after album and you just think well you know you know you haven't had a good album out in 10 years stop mm. um it's how i feel about red hot chili peppers but there you go that's not not right. go there <laughs> <laughs> has there ever been or could you foresee a scenario where an an album could come out um 
I'll say, I'll, I'll say posthumously, but in any of the contexts that we've discussed already, though. But like, could there be a release uh, by a, by a, an artist or their estate or a label where you would say, no, 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 like I'm, I, I can't bring myself to listen to that for whatever reason it was, even if like the Nirvana situation you talked about. Um, or was there has there been anything in the past where you've just thought I'm not gonna they wouldn't want me to hear that if, if that makes sense you know uh that's that's a good point I mean I I didn't want to hear Guns and Roses without Slash I thought Guns and Roses would come up actually yeah, yeah. I thought you'd, you'd mention them and not just Slash who's the other guy Is it Duff McKeegan I don't know I'm <laughs> <laughs> I think of, uh, but yeah, when Stone Temple Pilots was literally just this is almost like the opposite end of the of the spectrum. Mm. But when it was um, just uh, I've forgotten his name, Axel Rose. It was mm. just Axel Rose and his mates doing. It felt like a covers band because also I think at the time Axel Rose wasn't on form. You know, he wasn't performing brilliantly. Um, so that was that was one example where um, I think I had a, I had chances to go and see them live in that format of the band, and I was just like, no, I already know they're not particularly good live in this form. Right. But they that that was one example where they don't that just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, what about yourself? Um, well. I don't think it's specifically ha- well. So okay, so as you know, I'm a diehard uh, Prince fan, like a, a huge Prince fan. Um, since his passing, um, Warner Brothers, with the uh, uh, approval of of Prince's estate, who I believe is managed by his sister, uh, they've released um, at, at the time of this recording, I think four albums um two wow. of them in particular uh one was a, a reissue of purple rain it was a three disc reissue so you have the disc one which is remastered disc two which was the remixes and um single edits and b-sides from the project as released before they've, they've sort of accumulated them all and then disc three which is this three is the money disc uh, and it's basically the vault uh discs where they you know prince's sort of revered vault of of timeless and endless recordings because it's all he did he just constantly made music and yeah he used to talk about it in interviews i think with uh arsenio hall he once said if you anyone was to go in and listen to it because you'd look a lot different at, at the end because there's so much in there it would just take you forever and it's very widely known that if he didn't release it, it's because he didn't want it heard. That's just the, I think that's just the fact. And um, his element of control in numerous aspects uh, of his music is, you know, it was the root of his, um, him carving a a slave into the side of his beard. That element of control was why he fell out with Warner Brothers for so long because he wanted, he couldn't foresee, he couldn't understand why someone else would own his music or they would tell him that he couldn't make music or release music, you know? So control was so paramount to him. So uh, apart from the Purple Rain one, uh, a few months ago, just before Christmas uh, last year, there was a a five-disc 1999 reissue which again i was a live cd there there was the original album again at the singles and b-sides accumulated and two vault discs this is they've gone in there and they've picked songs so now there are three official vault discs of of music that he specifically never wanted released now for a diehard fan those vault discs are everything you've waited for because they've gone back to the eighties for those, you know, oh, which wow. is very much considered his golden period. And they've, they've literally done what he, it would appear, maybe I'm overthinking it, but it would appear he would never have wanted that to happen, you know? Yeah. And 
But again, the, if you're a diehard, you want those discs really, really badly. But I'm very curious if there's an uber level diehard who refuses to buy any posthumous releases which features. Uh, so hang material. on, I've got to ask the question that many yeah. listeners will be thinking: Did you buy this? Yes. <laughs> I, I did i've got them all um but i uh it's just yeah it means like to hear it is is incredible it's they're so good i can't believe he ever didn't release it but um i just i can't but there is a part of me that thinks i don't know i guess you have to question your role as a fan do you know what i mean like yeah. if you're a fan do you not buy it or do you salivate over it <laughs> well, well i so think it's in this case in you know in, in this example it, it it's proven that these were that these are good you know that, that, that yeah. prince obviously had some gold that he um for some reason never released i mean i i, I remember who is it is it kevin smith did a documentary on prince and, and prince went and Prince at the last second. He, when oh it all my God. Done. Yes. And, yeah. No. He, he made like his own documentary about the failed documentary. I think Kevin Smith has talked about it so much uh, on his like his stand up and one man shows. Yeah, that's right. Prince hired him after seeing Dogma. Uh, he, he hired him to kind of make a documentary about him. Or I don't know if there was a specific nature to the documentary. I don't think there was. I seem to remember hearing Kevin Smith talk about he just he didn't know what it was about or what he wanted. But Prince being Prince pulled the plug on it. <laughs> and Kevin Smith had lost out a lot of time. And I, I don't know. I want to say money as well. But, um, yeah. So, I mean, Prince to work with must have been very difficult. <laughs> Well, well, exactly, and I think if if there's an eccentric level to that, I mean, a sheer level of perfectionism. Is perfectionism a word? No, clearly not. You will um, know what you mean, though. You can go with it, I think. <laughs> but so then, may maybe you know, there's something in you know, being 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 an Uber fan, and you know him as well as you do, that something of his that he thinks lacks the perfection or what what's needed to allow him to release it to most sane individuals who aren't prince would just be like you know this is fantastic i, I definitely mm. want to release it whereas i think i don't know um there are a lot of artists out there whose whose process of bringing something to the you know to to the peak of what it can be is much more, you know, elaborate, strung out, and and you know, if if you catch anything, even fifty percent finished, it's going to be awful. I mean, I, I've actually heard, oh dear, I, I've heard some demos of Michael Jackson stuff, like some of his hits, um, the the original kind of recordings and right. demos and vocals and bits and bobs, and they're not they're not great. It's mm. quite hard to see how they became what they became. Um, but obviously, you know, and he's you know, one of the most incredible, talented recording artists there has ever lived. But yeah, so I, I guess um, to answer your question, f for me, um, I, yeah, I would have to research and know what what we were dealing with because I think if, if for example, now... Courtney Love turned around and said, "You know what? Um, I've got a whole album's worth of Nirvana songs, um, and she made an agreement with um, Dave Grohl. And if she was happy, and Dave Grohl was happy uh, to to release them and say, look, you know, there's some absolute bangers in this. Um, I, I'm, you know, really excited to release." these songs now because they released a song called um you know you're right um which was released literally not that long after he passed which was an awesome song uh so if there was a chance there were more tracks like that out there i would say yeah okay definitely mm. bring it on and then the people involved were all happy and there was some 
there was someone official in the band to, to kind of give it um, a bit of a, a quality control, then I'm all for it. But what I think with things like the Michael Jackson uh, example you came up with and a lot of other stuff is it if it's one guy, if it's just one guy or person or record label or producer or something like that who just thinks, you know what, yeah... Uh, I I I can I can release this, and there's no other tight creative control, especially with the people that produced the the kind of tracks and music with that person who's passed away. Then mm. I'd be like, mm, yeah, I'm not I'm not so sure, you know. If I don't know, if uh, who's another? So many people that. There, there, there's actually a really good example. Do you know um, Chris Cornell of Soundgarden? Of course, yeah. Sadly he, passed away. Yeah, so he obviously sadly passed away. And there's, there's been some music that he's written with his son or daughter or something and bits and pieces and that he's, they're now put music to or completely put music to. And I've been like, I've heard it and I'm like... I. I, you know, it it's okay, and it's his family, and it's all great that he he did that. Um, so I'm I'm kind of happy, but I I could live without it. You know, it it doesn't need to it doesn't need to exist. Mm. Um, but I think um, before you were before you were talking before when we started talking about this topic. Um, one of the things that we we were, you know, a preamble to this was talking about Gangstar and right. their uh, their posthumous. Well, no, well, yeah, it it is a posthumous release yes. as yeah. such. But obviously, you know, there's quite a lot of people in Gangstar, and it's like well, no, no, well, there's there's two. It's a Guru and DJ Premier. Guru passed away, um, and but he they. The two of them, they, I mean, there are sort of conflicting reports about the state of Gangstar. And there's a lot of sort of speculation about Guru's passing and someone that he was affiliated with uh, called uh, Solar, who was basically his producer at the time. And I I don't really want to get into all that because it gets into hearsay and stuff like that. Um of course, I'll yeah. We we totally can talk about it if you absolutely, uh, if if you sort of want to. But it's it's sort of a very uncomfortable situation. And like with Guru and Premier, they um, were, you know, the basis, the core of of Gangstar, and they built an incredible uh, reputation over oh geez, 10, 12 years of of recording and releasing records together. Um, they seem to have gone their separate ways for some years. And what was dubbed guru's last interview he talked about not really wanting to be associated as a part of gangstar anymore and it, in the interview he's very explicit about this guy solar that he's with being the kind of the person that he wants to be affiliated with going forward in his career and he believes the music he's making with this guy is of more importance than gangstar which is a crazy thing to have said um, but again, there's a lot of speculation about their relationship and Solar's kind of controlling uh, nature, which is just, it's not very pleasant, um, the stories behind it. Uh, but he did very specifically say, and you can look it up in a website called All Hip Hop, and it's dubbed as Guru's last interview, but he does quite specifically reference closing the door on Gangstar. Uh, last year, the album you're referencing, um, DJ Premier ended up buying lots of the remaining vocals that Solar owned and putting an album out under the name Gangstar. And now this is a difficult project. And I know if TJ was here, he's a big fan of the project. But I, I'm a, I was a huge Gangstar fan, a bigger Guru fan. And it's a difficult project to kind of embrace because on one part, you're like, this is great like uh as a bonus what a great sort of gift but yeah. guru did say that he, he, it whether or not he was of sound mind i don't know um but he was quite specific about not wanting this done 
and it's a strange project to to have eventually been released and i saw uh, an interview that dj premier did uh with sway in promotion of the project and he talked about them having gone their different their sort of the different ways and he said guru never closed the door on gangstar he never said he wanted it to never continue which is incorrect he did i don't know if he's aware of the interview that i'm referencing but he did close the door on it and they didn't have contact for quite a long time um and it's a difficult situation because when you talk about you know the way he wanted it himself remembered and it wasn't for gangstar which is a heartbreaking thing to say but to, to explore everything that was going on with guru back then is a very again hugely uncomfortable uh process but that's an album that i've yet to purchase i'd love to i'd love to hear it um i, I know i will but there is a, a little niggling thing inside me that's kind of like yeah this feels a bit weird well, fair play mm. i mean i think um well there, there's quite a lot of hip-hop bands that seem to bicker amongst themselves and then members die i mean like uh, Tribe Called Quest um, mm. pretty much weren't a functioning band um, before the un, you know one of their members died, uh, and then I think well they they did they did release a posthumous album didn't they? Uh, well, no, well, kind of. It actually he uh, five passed away right near the end of the recording, so he. I don't think it counts as posthumous because he's on more than three quarters of the album. Um, and it was happening with his consent. He was incredibly excited. They were all excited to be on performing under recording under the name tribe called quest again. So I, I wouldn't say that that album, um, thank you for your service. Uh, it was, is posthumous. If you know what I mean in yeah. that it was recorded with the intention of sort of seeing the light of day, but there is talk about there being some more, five verses that are out there that haven't been released so if they do do anything with it which it doesn't appear that they're going to um mm. but yeah but yeah that was a disaster situation as well incredible album wasn't it that yeah no really um, solid release because it's kind of strange because i think um uh, wu-tang clan when odb um mm. passed they uh, I don't know. I don't. I can't. They didn't. They were reusing some verses and, and bits and vocals that he did on their albums uh, for quite a long time. I, well, I, I'm sure they still do. I mean, it's almost more like uh, I don't know, paying tribute to him, and um, rather than trying to kind of, you know, directly. Yes you know create new solo tracks with his vocals whereas i remember and again you know i was young and i can't the the facts escape me you probably know a lot more than i do but i know when tupac and biggie smalls passed away it felt like it felt like there was more albums and more tracks yeah. released from them after they'd passed than ever there was when they were alive i mean i uh, it was insane. There, every week there was, you know, there was a new artist releasing, and that, and he had a track, and one of the tracks had a a Biggie Smalls verse, and you're just like, oh my god, how many of these are there? <laughs> yeah, um, it, it was it's certainly true with with both, but I think that the difference was, uh, Tupac had that much unreleased material to inverted commas to justify the releases biggie didn't and that's the difference like in terms of he had his first album after he passed was called born again maybe half of it was lyrics that hadn't been released before yeah. probably half not, maybe not even half uh, a couple of them were songs that had been floating around for years prior and a lot of them were oh that's from this song that's from this song and his flow changes so much uh, in between you know throughout the the album and then they released like another two biggie albums and it's like you haven't got the material for this you oh. honestly don't have the material for it tupac had the material 
but you're right that comment was used a lot about the amount of heat stuff that he did release after his his death you know in terms of like wow it's like he's a functioning artist <laughs> he's still releasing <laughs> things yeah, after he, all this time it was it was ridiculous because well, a lot of people accused him of you know well a conspiracy theory saying he's still alive because he was making so much money and it, it, yes. you know only in death did he did he really you know manage that so here's 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 a question for you do you think Beastie Boys, being that um, Adam Youch unfortunately passed yeah, away, yeah. would you? And, and uh, they've shown no indication that they will. I mean, they've they've disbanded Beastie Boys, as far as I know. But at some point, there'll be uh, you know, there's people clamouring to for them to uh, either you know do some of the old stuff or release new stuff. Do you think that that would be acceptable at any point in the future. Uh, I I do. I think just like if if you replaced him as a this is the new member of the Beastie Boys, that would be less embraced. But I I no I I wouldn't be ad- adverse to the idea of it. It's one of those things if done right. And um, I think there's always that distinction of, you know, you can do it right or you can really not. And um, I think, yeah, we've given examples, I think, of both. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I think if done right, you, you absolutely could. What do you think? Well, I think the main problem is they couldn't ever tour their old stuff right. without a new band member because someone yeah. has got to do that, you know, has got to do Adam's verse or you know vocals well that's a good point yeah but yeah you're right i mean i i think with them you know they've kind of earned the right to do more maybe not they don't have to do as beastie boys maybe they they don't have to carry on under that name maybe they could just guest on other people's Mm. albums and kind of wrap together um and they've I also think, earned the right to party as well. So they have. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for you to do that. They've earned the right to so. I know. I was like, what? How are you not going to jump all over that? <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm the better man. I'm just not. <laughs> oh gosh, that's a kick in the crotch. Okay, that's fair point. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. But yeah, I don't always go for the easy gag, my friend. I know, I'm not desperate for it. I really, it's not always, it's not always worth it. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I think, I think, you know, they they could potentially go on uh, and do more stuff. But yeah, maybe not as Beastie Boys. The same thing happened with Lincoln Park. Um, without Chester Bennington, you know, pretty much the other. Then you've got uh, Mike Shinoda. And I think he's pretty much sort of turned around and said, well, well, the rest of the band, it's not just him, obviously, but they've kind of said, do we carry on as Linkin Mm. Park? Because it's the same with the Beastie Boys, you know, Beastie Boys, it's a dynamic with three rappers and it's a very close knit dynamic. Same with Linkin Park. You've got, you know, Mike Shinoda pretty much does the, a little bit of rapping and singing and Chester Bennington does all of the, you know, all of the kind of emo singing and rock rock singing. So it's like they're, they're completely balanced. It's like you couldn't really do Linkin Park unless you had someone else to do the secondary vocals yeah. or primary vocals, if you like. And yeah. you know, it was the same with Alice in Chains. I think... Um, Jerry Cantrell realised he had to have someone who to do Lane Staley's verses, um, and it's controversial. But he obviously wanted to continue doing music. And uh, to be fair, the albums they've released under Alison Chains without Lane Staley have been fairly decent. You know, can't really complain. But yeah, it, I think it—it's easy to replace one lead singer. I say easy, it's not easy at all, but <laughs> easier than when you've got a, a quite a complex setup where you've got, 
you know, oh, you know, I've got, I mean, if we, if, if tomorrow, I mean, Wu Tang Clan, just think about it. If you've ever, you've seen them live, haven't you? With you, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we, we both saw them live. And the fact is, the comedy about it is they never turn up with a full compliment ever. Mm. It just never happens. There's always two, three, or four key members who just don't turn up. And, we fortunately for us, the person who didn't show was Method Man, and oh. I was gutted, gutted. Yeah, and, and such was the magnitude of his name. I remember vividly because uh, I believe you made the booking, and then you said, you know, whoever it was, the the promoter, had, you got you've been emailed and said Method Man isn't going to be there. Do you want a refund? <laughs> and I thought that's like the magnitude of of, of his name, obviously, to that to that collective. But the, yeah, horrific. But the point I guess I'm making is they have all their lackeys and, and people, shouty men, hype guys, <laughs> who basically just, you know, they, they end up doing remixes of their own songs because they they haven't got a full complement of performers ever there to do each other's verses. Yeah. And it, it's just, I mean, not the, obviously the fact that um, ODB past is bad enough but like you see them you know um i've even seen live concerts where they again you've you've just got a load of people shouting the you know the lyrics and you're like (laughs) but these aren't you know they're not oh it's just terrible have having four people shouting the lyrics to someone's verse rather than the person who actually should be shouting or not shouting steaming <laughs> rapping that verse is just terrible right. and i lose track of how many hip-hop uh gigs i've been to where there's just been a load of hangers-on shouting stuff and you're just like yeah no this is terrible this is not what i wanted to see yeah i guess posthumous releases nailed it we solved it right we've earned the right to po- no. no yeah we've done it <laughs> yeah no it's just good we haven't i feel like we've not debated things for a while that was pretty good i enjoyed that well, we haven't um, yeah. yeah we've been we've been like reminiscing about our favorite stuff uh uh for the past few episodes which has been uh blissfully fun but uh yeah it's good we didn't argue we should argue on our next one that'll be good yeah <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll script it real yeah. ding dong <laughs> uh thanks dude uh it's been a super cool episode uh of uh close encounters i hope you guys will check out uh forever in electric dreams for our entire back catalog of podcast episodes uh we release uh episodes on the first and third mondays of the month and uh this has been uh us debating posthumous albums so uh from me bye-bye from daniel take care and catch you next time friends bye-bye See you move, move, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. dance. Let me see you move.
for me 